Did you not get wine? No, I did. You just already drank it without me? No, I have it. I have some wine right here. Well, I, I mean, I, I haven't even seen you lift the jar once. It's white wine. It's white wine. It's white wine. Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. try to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. Something just happened before we pressed record, and I need to talk about it. <laughs> what was it? When your dog started barking. Okay, Steph's dog started just barking like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was so cute because then you said, it's because when we started, I said, hi, hi, hi to you. <laughs> yep. So your dog thought somebody had arrived. Right, so you're exactly. like, hi, hi, hi. <laughs> and she's like, rah, 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 who's here? But then... Here's the thing I need to know about. Then when you were trying to quiet your dog down, I heard you go out in the hallway and then you said, Maple, on the phone, on the phone, Maple, on the phone. What? Yes, we, so our dog, so Maple is a fucking beast of a dog. She's the worst, but she's also actually pretty smart. Um, she's highly anxious and she really is very protective of us, but she does a good job if she understands what's happening, I think. On so, the phone. On the phone. So she gets really confused when, she, for example, she hears me say hello to someone on the phone yeah. and then she'll start barking and I have to be like, on the phone, good girl, on the phone. <laughs> um. It's oh my god ridiculous! I love it. I well, I was picturing that you had tr- like, like I am on the phone, you know, like <laughs> that, like mommy means business, yeah. But that makes sense too to be like, no, 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 it's just the phone, it's just the phone, as if she has any concept that a phone is speaking to another human being, right? No, obviously she doesn't know what a phone is, but she does. I think make the does. connection that there's not an actual other human being uh. in the house or on the property. When I say on the phone, I love it. <laughs> on the phone, <laughs> on the phone, Maple. Maple. Um, oh gosh! Welcome to Dog Chat <laughs> with Amy and Steph. We have two. We each have our own difficult dog. <laughs> now I have a cat who's joined me on the phone. Stacy, <laughs> it's not working. Shoot. On the phone, cats okay. are too smart for that shit. All right. Well, here we are. Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast. <laughs> How are you, Steph? I am doing pretty well. How are you? Is that a bubble water right here? It's not. Not not today, my friend. Because <laughs> we're talking about death. This is a full-on white peach cider. Ooh. Steph and I both did dry January. You will all be so impressed with us, but now we are allowed to talk about death and have a drink. That's right. That's right. Because so I 
want to explain, we did decide that we're not going to do any letters this episode because we were like, who we don't want somebody to be like, why did you put my letter in the death episode? (laughs) I wanted my friend Aunt Becky to live. My friend Aunt Aunt Becky. Becky. (laughs) I literally just opened that cider. I wanted my Aunt Becky to listen, but then it's all about death. Um, So we are not putting anybody in that disappointing position, but Mm -hmm. here is the deal. So um, I have told this story before on the podcast or like, I think I just kind of slipped it in as an anecdote somewhere. But um, mm-hmm. one of my dear friends, somebody who I love very, very much, who is very much like me, a solutions oriented yeah. person. Mm-hmm. When I was very first diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, um, the f- one of the first things she said to me was, I know a great death doula. Oh, my gosh. Right. Um, so that was the last thing I wanted to hear at that oh my time. Gosh, yeah. I know. I, I can't even hear that story. I, I'm sure I love your friend. I don't she, think I've met her. She is amazing. Um, and she, like I said, she and I are very similar people. I have, this is a lifelong learning process for me too. I am a solutions oriented person. That's how I try to help. And so Uh, I think sometimes when you want to like pitch in in a way and you're like Mm -hmm. one of those researchy kind of people and you want like practical Mm -hmm. solutions for things, you do that. You want to give something helpful that's tangible help. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I want to say if you are not in a position where you can hear, I know a great death doula. This Mm -hmm. is not the episode for you. But now I am in a position where I can wrap my brain around end of life planning because I understand that it's a ways off. Um, Right. And whether or not it's a ways off for you, if you're in a place where you feel like you can have the conversations about death and about end of life rituals and planning and all of the cool, weird alternative death stuff that's happening right now then Mm -hmm. this is the episode for you so wait there's an alternative to death (laughs) (laughs) um i honestly i would listen if i were a listener just because i would be so interested to hear all of your takes on on this topic yeah i mean i think like a really cool part of the environmentalist movement and people who are becoming more like eco-conscious and that becoming more mainstream means that it's running like the full gamut of our lives and that means from like birth stuff and having kids and like cloth diapering and all of that and like being a seasonal food consumer and things like that like all of that is happening and then the natural progression is that people are more interested in eco-friendly ways to deal with Mm -hmm. death and dying and i think that that's really really cool and interesting that is to me anyway so yeah um i mean i don't necessarily think it has to all be about the eco impact it's also just seems the most natural for you as a human being to not be you know thrown into these crazy thick coffins that are shiny and full of satin and right and embalming just is so it's like 
It's strange. Icky to me. It sounds weird and icky to me. If it doesn't sound weird and icky to you, fine, whatever. But you um, weirdo. <laughs> but it is. Objectively, it is. <laughs> it is. I mean, if you break it down to what it actually is, I mean, I have no idea what you will be presenting to us this episode. I know that I have prepared nothing other than the knowledge that I will be speaking to you about stuff. Your sparkling um, personality. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> I am interested to see what we're going to cover and I'm game for it. Um, but yeah, like you said, we're not going to do letters this episode. And is this qualifying as our rats? Yeah. I mean, or just it, I did so much research for this because I really got into it. Um, I think one of the most exciting facets for me was that a lot of this is happening around Seattle, which is oh yeah very near to where I live. And so hmm. I just went down so many rabbit holes and I would love it if I could just present this as my rats. Is there like a PowerPoint we could share with people? <laughs> <laughs> I only wish there was someday. We'll have a live Steph. show. <laughs> right? I know. We'll have a live show and people will like buy tickets for it and it'll just be like a boring oh, PowerPoint God. presented by me. Just oh, kidding. That actually that. would be good. We did get uh, somebody reached out to us asking if we wanted to do a live show at a, a small venue that's opening up in an Steph was like, oh, somebody wrote. That's That sounds really interesting. And I was like, what? That's my worst nightmare. Which is um, so weird to me. It's so weird that I would be open to it and you wouldn't because I feel really? like I'm the I'm the introvert of this partnership. Well, I am the sparkly extrovert. I am the hyper social extrovert, but I am not the center of attention overt. Like, I don't care about attention. I don't I don't want to be standing up in a room with everybody looking at me like that sounds awful. Could you sit down in a room with everybody looking at you? <laughs> I mean, I could maybe like lay under a blanket with a microphone or something. <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, seriously, like I, when I used to do like my radio show and people would be like, oh, your radio show is good. I'd be like, why did you listen to my radio show? You know, like I like doing things. I just don't want anyone to talk about it. I don't want. I don't, yeah. Yeah. I know. hear that. Well, maybe but, we you know what? Change that for a bed. What? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we could put it on our writer. Um, what changed that for me was getting cancer where I stopped giving a fuck as much. Like I never, ever would have had a podcast ever. Yeah, same. I would have I would have done a, a podcast with you for fun that we didn't share with anybody. Yeah. You know, we could even record it. We could edit it, whatever. I don't care. But I wouldn't have ever done this. But as our last episode in the caregivers episode, I believe it was Ian's letter where he said he has become so much more. I don't remember his exact words, but like enthralled with the art of not giving a fuck or just yeah, living absolutely. his life in that way. And he's in, in applause of it. And I feel that way, too. But being on a stage, Jesus. Is this why um, you signed us up to do a rock opera? <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole nother story. That is. Okay. Listen, so I'll do the rock <laughs> opera, but I'm not stubbing foot in a music venue. Okay. <laughs> So, death. okay, death. You, it? Amy, introduced the concept of a death cafe in one of our very first episodes. Oh, yeah. And um, what I'm wondering is, as I did a bunch of this research, 
I stumbled across somebody that I had heard about before, actually. His name is Michael Hebb, and he has a website and kind of like a, I mean, I don't want to call it a movement because that sounds so cheesy, but um, he did this TED Med talk. Mm-hmm. And his whole thing is called Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. And he has a mm. um, a book called Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. And his organization facilitates these things that sound very much like the Death Cafe that you mm-hmm. described in our previous episode where you get mm-hmm. together with people and they can be strangers, they can be family and friends or whoever. And you kind of prearrange some topics And the whole idea is that you get more comfortable with the idea of talking with others about something that we all inevitably go through. Yeah. That takes actually kind of a lot of pre-planning or Mm. unfortunately for your loved ones, post-planning if you don't broach these subjects with them. And so um, Michael Hebb's book, Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner, is actually really, really great. Um, It has so many jumping off points for people who feel really uncomfortable and don't feel like they can take those first steps on their own to come up with topics of conversation. And then their website is deathoverdinner.org. And it has resources for you to become somebody who hosts these dinners in your community or even just with your family. Um, And I think that's really, really neat. There are just like a bajillion people out there, if you look on the Internet, saying that um, the book and the subsequent dinners have changed their lives, changed their relationships with their family members and stuff. And I think like what this whole thing for me distills down to is that so much of the anxiety about death is wrapped up in not just the not being here anymore, but it's about all of the unknowns, the unknown quantities that you have to deal with and taking away the unknowns makes it so much easier to think about. So if you have a resource that helps you do end of life planning and make a will and talk about what you want your memorial service or funeral to look Mm -hmm. like. So you're talking about practical unknowns, like Totally. The details, not the unknowns of like the universe and what happens to you. Right. Exactly. Because, you know, that's not something that you can really sort out (laughs) over dinner with your family. That's a lifelong conversation. God damn it. Everyone listening is like, damn it. I thought thought you were going to fill me in on this. (laughs) All right. (sighs) Jesus. I think when you take away some of the unknown quantities about death, It makes it so much easier to think about because you're not wrapped up in the like, what's my funeral going to look like? Who's going to take away my body? What's even going to happen to my body? What actually goes down with cremation or burial or, you know, who do my loved ones call? All of that stuff is really scary Mm -hmm. to think about on just on a practical level because, you know, it's going to be so infused with emotion and you Mm -hmm. don't want to leave people with all of that shit. So that's why I really like this whole deal that Michael Hebb has going on. Yeah. So does this book just bring up like how to project manage your death or what things need to be taken care of or who you talk to? Like, how does it how is it broken down? It's not necessarily how to project manage your death, but it is 
how to project manage. I bet you there's a book called that. <laughs> Seriously, right? Can't you just imagine that in the self-help? Yeah, there should be a brochure. But I think that really it's more about like how to project manage talking about your death. You know, these are like tough conversations that people mm-hmm. don't want to have. And you don't want to like stumble all over it. And it's awkward and yeah. sad. But I think that, you know, one of the things that I really love about this whole death over dinner, like movement or whatever, is that they specifically do it with a meal. And so, Mm. you know, we associate eating together with comfort and enjoyment and like, an interesting conversation, right? Right. Yeah. And so it makes it a little bit easier. And, you know, like if there's a lull in the conversation, mm-hmm. you're eating and it's not so glaringly obvious. Yeah. There's some pass the pepper that you can interject. Right. Totally. If you need a moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There also, I just, I wanted to say there's a Jewish edition too, which I mm. I personally really appreciate because yeah, um, culturally, you know, different groups have different rituals that even if you're not super religious or super involved with your culture, you might want to honor. And I just think it was really cool of them to have that available because Jewish death rites are pretty different than a lot of American cultural death rites. So anyway, if anybody wants to check that out, it's available like anywhere books can be bought and then deathoverdinner.org. You know, we're going to link the book. Totally. I kind of want to do a dinner. I think it would be really fun. Who would come? I don't know. I I obviously I'm not going to like do it with my kids, but I think it would be a cool thing once COVID is over to invite friends to mm. and just have kind of like a cool maybe. I mean, because, you know, I live in like farmland, so maybe like a cool farm to table <laughs> death dinner. I would love it. Oh, you know, a little barn with some lanterns, <laughs> a little right. Pinteresty in there. Um. It's interesting. You're reminding me of one of our listeners is my dad. Hey, David. (laughs) He actually tried to get me to read some book. God, when was this? Like 15 years ago or something? Like, he's so lovely. He was like, I did you take a class, dad? It was something like that. It was something like where for end of life planning and for communicating with your family of all the things that you would like to have happen. Mm -hmm. Um, They had this whole process and, and then he gave me a book and my job was that I was supposed to read this book and it was called, I believe it was called the other talk. Oh, the reason I remember this is because it was on my shelf for a decade and I didn't read it. (laughs) And then, but after your children read the book, you're supposed to all come together and then go over the concepts and talk about the this is and the that's of the wishes and the wants or whatever. Yeah. But I think it's so funny that we never had the the end conversation <laughs> and that I never read the book and that he didn't say like, did you read it? Or maybe he actually did. And I was just like shitty and didn't. I, I, I don't like, remember. God, dad, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> no, I was like, you're never going to die. Why would we need to talk about it when it's never going to happen? <laughs> Which is stupid and dad, sorry, but I will talk to you about it whenever you'd like to because I'm a grown ass mature woman and I but you're not going to die. Maybe over dinner, in fact. Yeah, totally. <laughs> He'd be into it, I'm sure. But yeah, similar. There must be different things in this vein. I mean, it's got to be 
of interest to many. Yeah, for sure. And I think like one cool thing about having it be super accessible in this like over dinner way with some topics of conversation already suggested for you is that you can do it yeah. when you're not old, you know, like, right. It can be a fun thing because like people die suddenly in weird ways. And Absolutely. Sucks, but it's true. Yeah. I don't even know what like Kevin wants done with his body when he dies. Well, I bet after he listens to this episode, he's going to have some good ideas because there are a lot of really cool, really weird things that are happening in the Pacific Northwest specifically. <laughs> really weird things. I like that. Yes. Okay. So I will just, I'll put this on the table for anybody who wants to know. There's a really beautiful, it's like a meadow cemetery that's near to where I live. And that's my choice. Um, mm. Jews typically don't do cremation. Some Jews do. I mean, whatever. But um, we do burial within like 24 hours and there is a really lovely eco-friendly burial ground that my family could go visit mm -hmm. and what they do is there's no um, cement liner in your plot mm -hmm. and so the ground is able to kind of royal as time goes on and you know, glades are are formed naturally and stuff. And instead of a, a tombstone, you get a small stone marker and your family gets to choose a guild of three naturally occurring plants for the area. And hmm. I think that that's just so beautiful because you can walk around, you know that you're not having a negative impact on the area. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful park for all intents and purposes and you know that you're not you know <laughs> like not to be super gross but you're not like leaking gross embalming fluid into well, the earth jesus and... that's so true yeah Ugh. um and you still get to honor your cultural rights yeah. like you know so i can be wrapped just in a simple muslin cloth Mm -hmm. with flowers and then lowered into the ground and my family can have as big or as small a part in filling the hole in as they want to you know everybody mm. can come to the meadow i thought you were gonna say a big or a small party as they want to <laughs> and i was like oh it's gonna be a big party that too <laughs> i i just really love that and there are lots of these places springing up all over the country yeah there's one in southern Washington as well. My friend Mary used to go. I mean, I feel like it's got to be within an hour, maybe a little further than an hour. And exact same concept. What's cool is there's a website and a council called the Green Burial Council. It's greenburialcouncil.org. It's a nonprofit organization. And they say that their mission is, quote, to inspire and advocate for environmentally sustainable natural death care through education and certification. So on their website, they've got a map of the United States with all of their partners who they've certified. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I really like about their certification process is that they prioritize the wishes of the dead person and their family, obviously, but then also worker safety. Mm -hmm. And they meet the standards of environmental protection. And so, you know, that it's a worker conscious 
situation that you're signing up for. You don't have, you know, weird. I don't I don't even know. I feel like people have this weird image of like green burials that it's just like (laughs) people digging a shallow hole. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I I just appreciate that there are standards and that, um, you know, these resources are are becoming more and more popular. Mm-hmm. It seems like a really lovely thing to me. And I think for a lot of people who are less interested in the like packed in type of cemetery that's like super yeah. flat with a bunch of expensive headstones. I don't understand why. Why that isn't completely obsolete at this point. Right? Like, yeah, I mean, I had this idea Years ago, or or not an idea, just sort of a like, why the hell are cemeteries not places where children are playing and there's playground equipment and there's benches to have your lunch and there's beautiful trees? Yeah. Even if there are still gravestones there, if that's important. But also, I don't give a fuck about a gravestone. Like, I would be happy to go be buried in a park-like setting. Yeah. I was thinking like they could call it the living cemetery, right? Because the living are still all around you. And so when isn't that kind of a neat idea to be like going back into the earth, but then having life happening right above you and footsteps and, you know, yelling and cheering and laughter all around you versus just being in this green area that only sad people come to here and there, you know? Yes, totally. You know what? It's really funny that you said that because one of the things that triggered this for me is um, getting metastatic breast cancer. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> it actually wasn't that. It was years and years ago when Zelda, my middle child, was, I mean, she must have been like three or something. And we used to drive past a cemetery every single day on the way to school. And she said to me one day in the like creepy ass way that kids say things, she was like, "Um, Mama, I'll still talk to you even when I have to go visit you at the park where you're not allowed to run around. (laughs) (laughs) I was like... Oh, how sad. It's you know, a dead park is what it is. It is a dead park. It's a dead park. And like whatever to people who choose that. It's traditional. Yeah, it is traditional. And lots of people live in places where there aren't a lot of green space. So, or where their families do have plots in it. Yeah. But I think going forward, you know, that's such a sad image to me of my kids like going to visit me in a place where there's no joy. Right. I feel like there's some idea about being disrespectful to the deceased in these cemeteries, right? Where you want to be quiet. Like, you don't want to be laughing in a graveyard. That's rude, you know? But if there was a new area where everybody going into the ground agreed, it's not rude to, like, play Scrabble on a date and drink pink wine with somebody you've just met you know like have fun like totally and i think that that's just so indicative of the way that we view death as a totally separate thing from living and not as Mm. inevitable endpoint of living you know like Mm -hmm. nobody escapes it and it makes me so sad to think of people grieving and 
they could be going to a beautiful park mm-hmm. instead. Where they also should be allowed to grieve. Of course. Even if other people are running around and having fun, there's also, I mean, I get that there's weight in that of people wanting to show respect to anybody who might be there feeling sad. But why do we have to separate feeling emotion and hiding that, you know, when it, yeah. if there's a place where it's like, this is a fucking weird ass place, like people might be crying. People might be, you know, like there's no social rules that we have in place now that aren't that great. Yeah, it's totally true. And one of the things that I love about this kind of move toward green burial and the next thing that I'm going to talk about, which is human composting, is that it, it does focus more on life and joy and you know renewal and things like that um i am so curious about this i know nothing do i get my grandmother's composted body and plant a garden in my house you can jesus okay so not for everybody but there is a place in seattle it is currently the only human composting facility in the country <laughs> that word that, that human composting i just think i know that right? they have a marketing problem it sounds so creepy but mm-hmm. i will tell you it is not creepy and i want the carrots are wonderful <laughs> it might have a bad name amy but the carrots the red peppers <laughs> the lush lush strawberries well i think like in so many cultures, they use placentas and stuff as a mm-hmm. fertilizer and things like yeah. This isn't a totally foreign concept. Mm-hmm. It's just weird to think about. You know, it's weird to start to go down the path. But once you're there, it's kind of like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. Yeah. I'm already kind of opening up to it. Just thinking like, what if like how you can donate your organs? Like, what if you could be like, oh, you know, do you want to use my liver to plant an apple tree? You are a wonderful college roommate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm making out my will. Are you interested? Just go get a little bag of soil. <laughs> so this company is called Recompose, and it's in Seattle. And what's interesting that they point out is that this is actually a longstanding farm practice. Farmers have always buried their dead. Oh, like on their own land. Right. Not necessarily people, but plenty of families have their own private family cemeteries also. Mm -hmm. But composting is an age old practice and people are always worried about the pathogens. But at 140 degrees Fahrenheit, the pathogens are killed and it's not hard to get your compost to that temperature, even in an unsecured environment. But this company Recompose, what they do is they put the body in a vessel and it's actually a really beautiful vessel. I will be linking to all of these places and articles and stuff in the show notes, but it's a really lovely looking situation. So Recompose puts your body in this vessel with wood chips and alfalfa grass and straw, and then they cover your body with more plant material and you go into the Recompose vessel for 30 days. And the microbes break everything down to one cubic yard of soil. And what? you can either go and pick up your soil of your loved one or you can donate it. And then that goes into like community green space. What? 
when you think of the alternative, which is taking up real estate in the earth with really gnarly chemicals and cement mm-hmm. and boxes made of like shellac mm-hmm. and unsustainable wood. I think mm-hmm. that this is just about as far from that as you can get. Yeah. Like I know a lot of gardeners. I am an avid gardener myself. And so many of us talk about like wanting to be buried under like a beautiful fruit tree or something like that, or, you know, some sort of special mm-hmm. plant. And this is exactly that. Like you just mm-hmm. get to nourish that new living plant more effectively. Yeah. So um, what's cool about this is the cost is $5,500, which is less than the cost of a traditional. I thought you were going to say $55. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> This is wonderful news. Of course, $5,500. Come on. Yeah. Death. What do you think? Would you do it? Um, There's something about it that doesn't. Okay. First of all, I change my attitude about this every second. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anything I say doesn't matter. First, I'll say I don't give a fuck what happens to my body. I don't care. Give any part of me to science, please. If they must cut my eyeballs out because somebody needs my eyeballs or whatever. Don't give my body to like one of those like crime farms. No. Yeah. No. (laughs) But also like, who cares? I say that. But then I hear you describe this human composting and saying that they put your body with what was it? Hay and alfalfa and wood chips. Yeah. Alfalfa. And I'm just thinking of like being. I don't know. Like, there's a marketing problem with this. I think the actual concept is way better than just going embalmed into a gross-ass coffin. But, like, I need there to be some, like, something that feels a little bit more beautiful, even though the actual thing that's happening is quite beautiful. If, like, the hay was, like, grown a specific way that was, like, (laughs) not, like, not, like, in a annoying like i only want organic hay or whatever which i do but more like some sort of ritual or like with respect like if the hay was grown by like volunteers who come or like your family would then go to like help grow the things to go for the next so somehow there's some circle of life thing yeah in the way it's explained but there's something like i don't know maybe if i saw the vessel i'd be a little bit less like Weird it out, but sure, do it. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Two thousand dollars, though. That's what all I'm willing to pay. Fifty five hundred, Jesus. So that's something that I think needs to be talked about, and something that obviously, like, we don't know. It's not common knowledge how much a funeral costs, how much these I know burials, cremations, like how much any of it costs. I don't know. Even I looking up stuff for this podcast, I felt kind of weird Googling, like, how much does cremation cost? I don't know. It's Why? Just like, I don't know. There's just some weird block for me that makes it feel illicit when it's obviously not. But I will tell everybody so you don't have to look it up. Depending on where you live, the cost for cremation is between one and four thousand dollars. OK, but. There's this growing trend of businesses that do what's called direct cremation. And that means they don't work with like funeral homes or anything. They just Mm -hmm. pick up the deceased person's body Mm -hmm. and they cremate it. 
And then they either hand deliver or mail you back the cremains. And a lot of people prefer this because there's no weird going to an office, sitting Mm. down, signing papers. They deal with all of the stuff like death certificate and things like that. And you don't get surprised either by the cost. So they all have the same upfront cost. They range from like $750 to $900 pretty much. And then you can kind of do whatever you want. Hmm. So like some of it comes down to like the area that you live in, like places with, you know, higher cost of living. The prices are higher. But can I tell you something? Please do. Well, I'm going to forget this if I don't say it right now. But when I lived in Seattle, this is a very short side note story. But I think about it all the time when I'm on this block, which I've been on this block with you because it's right down from um, Petty Rosso where we met. Yeah. And had lunch the very first time I met you. Um, so on Capitol Hill, my friend and I, we were working at a bar where we'd worked for a long time and we were outside one day before we opened and we were just chatting and she went, Oh, I get so creeped out with that smell. And I was like, what smell? She's like, Oh, don't you know? She's like, they have a crematorium that's right there on Broadway. And that smell, like I used to smell it when I would be in class across the street at Seattle Central. Like oh, I remember like yeah. walking out of class, but you can smell the bodies being cremated. And it's just this almost smells like a marshmallow or mixed with something. When it's smoke. <laughs> and I looked at her and I was like, are you talking about the coffee roasting company across the street? <laughs> because they haven't cremated bodies in this place on Broadway, I don't think. And also that smell is straight up roasting coffee. And she just looked at me and she just started cracking up. She's like, oh my God, for years I've had this like quiet moment anytime I smell it on Capitol Hill, like on these few blocks. And I'm like, no, 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 that's <gasps> definitely oh my God. the coffee place across the street. <laughs> Oh, Fina. That is amazing. How nice of her to be reverent, though, for a second. I know, right, right. Oh, man. But, yeah, they they might smell a little similar. It's an interesting smell, that coffee-resting smell, you know? Yeah, there you go. So that's something that is still a thing in a lot of places where they do have crematoriums. It does stink. It does stink, and it's kind of bad for the environment. Oh, right? It's definitely less bad than traditional embalming and burial, but there's another company, and this actually was like all over social media um, a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. because there was an article going around about aquamation. Did you see this? No. But that's marketing I can get behind. Just kidding. Aquamation. Yeah, it's actually called alkaline hydrolysis. Seriously, Mm. though, it was really cool because I saw a lot of people um, being engaged with the topic of death in a way that I don't think I have ever experienced before. People were being like inquisitive and Mm. open to it. And I think that's a really neat, accessible way for them to learn is on social media where you can just like read an article and you don't have to have a conversation if you're not ready. So yeah, it's water cremation. So it's it's literally rotting in a sack of water. <laughs> it is not. That's that is good marketing. That's not what it is. But what it is is alkaline hydrolysis. This information came from the Funeral Consumer Alliance. So what they do is they use water in a solution of potassium hydroxide 
to reduce remains to bone fragments and a sterile liquid. And it's a natural process that happens no, it's typically not underground over about okay. 25 years if you're buried. But if they do it in these controlled conditions, it only takes between two and 12 hours. Oh my the gosh. liquids, this is, a, I want to prepare you for this. Take take a beat here. The liquids. <laughs> Let me just grab my cider. <laughs> the liquids are easily disposed of down the drain. With the liquids. The liquids that are. Um, that yeah. has become you other right. than your bone fragments. Right. Now down the drain. They just pour them down the drain. I mean, do we care? Or don't we care? Let's pick one. You know, like we can't just be up in arms that people are talking at cemeteries and then be okay with throwing people down the drain. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm cool. I'm chill. Right. I'm down. I know. It's a little like I, I will admit that that one made me take a few minutes to think about <laughs> my position on it. Okay. Why can't they use that to go put out on the earth? to water an apple tree that liquid it must not be very natural it must not be very good for the environment well it's sterile they say can i wash my car with it like can... <laughs> <laughs> like what how sterile what is it what is it <laughs> this was previously a process only used by medical schools to dispose of cadavers <gasps> now we know what they do when they donate you to science that's right. And some smarty was like, hmm, maybe the consumer market wants this too. What do you do with the bone fragments? Let's get back to those. The bone fragments turn into a substance very much like cremains, except they aren't burned. They're just like a white or tan, ashy kind of substance. And so you can do whatever you want with them, just sort of like you do with cremains. Um, they're cleaner. Yeah. Can you, like, make a lava lamp with the <laughs> sterile liquid or something, you know? Maybe. Isn't it strange? Like, I am uncomfortable with this. Like, I'm I'm cool with it. Like, I get it. I can wrap my head around it. But there's, like, you know, just this response in me that is, like, uh, I know. Me too. But, like, why? What is that? Like, there's something built into us, like, biologically around death. Like, yeah. And it's to serve some purpose. Like, I don't know. Why do we have this built into us? So here's my guess about it. And this, <laughs> I can't believe I'm comparing this, but I think it's like kind of a similar biological function. So anybody who has potty trained a child who mm -hmm. is resistant to potty training, I feel like, understands the point at which your body starts to say, like, this is human excrement and you're supposed to stay away from it. It stops being like your baby's diaper and it starts being like, my body says no <laughs> to this. this. Like you as a mom, you're you're saying no. To no, the it's like, like me as a human, I'm not supposed to be touching a, another person's feces like oh, as a right. preservation tactic. Like, mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you know, when they're littler, you're like, you're like all in and oh, it doesn't yeah. phase you. But right. there comes a time when your body is like. And I don't know at what point that 
switch flips, but it has happened Mm -hmm. to me and it's jarring because you're like, wait a minute, I used to be okay with this, but suddenly my body is like, get this away from me. It feels gross and dangerous. But that makes sense. That's, that's how we push mothers to potty train their children, right? Right. And it's how we keep ourselves safe from like scary bacteria. Yeah. And I feel like totally. that might be a similar thing that like makes us grossed out because we don't want like remains in our water supply. Yeah, that might be part of it. It's not necessarily that I'm worried about what's going to happen to me. It's that I know instinctively that dead bodies are gross or something. Yeah. <laughs> right? I yeah. Mean, that's, that's how I feel too. There's a lot about this that I had to kind of think about. Like, is this actually dangerous or do I like... Am I just having a weird reaction to something that I don't fully understand? And I think that's that's the case for a lot of these things and why there's been pushback. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these aren't legal in every state. But I think what's more interesting to me is the idea that they're not legal in a lot of states because that is false. Right. There are only a select few states in our country where you need a funeral director for any part of dealing with your dead. Wait, how many? There's only a handful of them. I'll name them here. So it's Alabama, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, Nebraska, New Jersey, and New York. So for those states, you need a funeral director for some part of dealing with your dead. And for most of them, it's only obtaining a death certificate. But What was really astounding to me is that for most states, all, in fact, except for Arkansas, California, Indiana, Louisiana, and Washington, you can get permission to establish home burials and home cemeteries on your own private property. It's it's wild. What are the requirements? So you have to check your zoning ordinances, basically. So (coughs) you have to make sure that you're not burying somebody within so many feet of a neighbor's property. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it has to be a certain number of inches into the ground. Um, I think that there are acreage requirements and stuff. Yeah. Like it's definitely if you live on like one city lot with a small backyard, you probably will not fit the bill. But if you do live on like a few lots or more. Yeah. And that's what's interesting to me is that these ideas that we have about it being unsafe and dirty and gross are not supported by laws or science in a lot of cases. And this is interesting to me. Embalming, which I feel like we have all understood as something that is required in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. is actually not legally required in any state. Hmm. There are some states in which refrigeration of a body is required if the body Mm -hmm. isn't dealt with in some way within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And there are some cases where embalming is required, like if you're transporting a body across state lines via an airplane. Mm -hmm. There are some states that won't receive a body that hasn't been embalmed. But embalming is not legally required in any state in the United States. And I feel like that was really a shock to me because I thought that there were a lot of laws mandating that we do these weird funeral rituals that's the funeral director character and all the 
movies yes. upselling you <laughs> right and the embalming will be another four thousand dollars and we will deliver the body at nine o'clock as if it's just part of it right exactly funeral poverty is a big problem and i feel like we've all seen gofundmes and stuff for people to finance their loved ones funeral rights and it's so fucked up mm-hmm. the average funeral in the u.s costs eighty five hundred dollars that's psycho It is. And especially when you consider that that doesn't even give you a lot of resources that people actually need. For example, a death doula. Like I I mentioned earlier, um, death doulas can be really, really beneficial. Morticians and people who run funeral homes and stuff aren't really equipped to deal with the same things that a death doula does. What does a death doula do? Yeah. So death doulas are, it's a really interesting occupation. I think I am somebody who loves birth workers. Um, I have been a childbirth educator and I love birth doulas. And so death doulas were really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. But basically what a death doula does is they facilitate your end of life planning. So they'll help you figure out your will, your advanced directives, what your wishes are um, for resuscitation and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, If you decide to utilize a death with dignity law that applies to you, then they would help you facilitate that. Um, They give focused emotional support both to the dying person and to their families. So a lot in a lot of similarity with the way that we think of a birth doula Mm -hmm. there, they, you know, they would be on hand to help you be comfortable, stay comfortable, help families be supportive. They give respite care. So if a family member who's a caregiver needs some time off, the death doula would be there to take care of the dying person. And then they help to explain like signs and symptoms that are happening with the dying person. So a lot of us don't know what it looks like to die. And Mm -hmm. so they would be there to help both the dying person and the family and friends to understand exactly what it's going to look like in your last days and hours. Mm -hmm. God, a lot like I wish birth doulas were available to everybody. I wish death doulas were available to everybody. A lot of this stuff is covered by hospice care, but not everybody gets hospice care. You mean like insurance will pay for you to have a death doula if you're in hospice? Well, or the hospice facility will just have death doulas? Yeah, a lot of hospice nurses basically do just this. Um, the job of a death doula. Oh, I see. I see. Unfortunately, a lot of them, too, are just overworked and underpaid. Yeah. You have organizations like Visiting Angels and stuff, but a lot of it does come down to what insurance will cover. Yeah, or what people will pay out of pocket for, like... I wanted to interrupt you. Well, I didn't want to interrupt you. That's why I didn't. But I wanted to ask you how much we talk in for a death doula because it does sound exactly like something that only certain people will get to do. Right. Exactly how birth doulas are. Yes, exactly. This is a service that is almost entirely out of pocket is going to be the responsibility of the family and the dying person. Name names. And by that, I mean numbers. <laughs> well, so from my research, I saw between $50 an hour to about $5,000 for a package. Um, mm-hmm. And that to me is obscene. I think that your insurance company should 
be paying for this. This is a service we all deserve. Let's just get somebody to make a really good documentary. Yeah. Or there's got to be that already. But Call Ricky Lake. Did she do it on birth? She did. <laughs> okay. I was like, I know the joke, but I can't remember what it is. Well, yeah, though, to you know, when you were talking about knowing the signs that death is coming and and like what sort of things might happen, like just covering that kind of stuff. Yeah. And hospice organizations are typically nonprofit organizations. I don't know if people realize that, but um, I think that that is a very important standard to maintain because oftentimes when hospice is owned by a private for-profit hospital, for example, they are much more concerned with their bottom line. They will stretch their hospice nurses thinner. Mm -hmm. God, how horrible to be a stretched thin hospice nurse. Can you imagine? No, that's so hard. And so, you know, you have families that are left picking up the pieces. And even worse, you have single people with nobody to care for them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this is something that I'm I'm kind of interested in researching further is how to support the move, movement toward offering death doulas and making sure hospice nonprofits are well funded. I mean, that's some hard work, man. For real. It's a hard field to go into yeah I couldn't do it yeah but god I want it you know I want that for my family I want it for myself I don't know I also feel like it's just such an intimate time that I don't know if I would want somebody there like that is that weird I mean I don't think it's weird I think that it's really normal to feel hesitation about who you want to invite into that inner circle mm -hmm. and if it doesn't feel right to you to want any of these things like some people just straight up want to die in the hospital yeah and that's fine you know some people want to die at home just with one of their loved ones by their side some people want to be surrounded by family mm -hmm. some people want to be totally alone yeah yeah I was reading this really beautiful article that I need to actually track down again. I couldn't find it when I was looking for it, but it was a repost on social media from somebody, but it was about the trend toward instead of having a funeral, people who have a terminal illness who are utilizing death with dignity acts in their states, mm -hmm. people having like a get together where everybody says goodbye mm -hmm. and then the person dies and everyone goes on partying without them like there like yes i mean they you know, choose the party to be the death yes jesus they wouldn't have their body on display but some of them did oh my there was one story that i read where the person had their hospital bed wheeled up to the top of a vista where everybody had kind of collected and then they died and everybody walked back down while their attendants bathed and dressed the body. Wow. That. That's crazy. It is, right? It makes me uncomfortable, yeah. but it's also really fucking beautiful. Like. No, it is. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. It makes me think like, wow, I never, ever thought it could ever be like yeah, that. It's wild. And these are these are things that I feel like we understand as illegal or 
or mm-hmm. somehow weird. But, you know, if you want to die surrounded by literally everyone you love, then that's something you could mm-hmm. do. It's just so cool to think about. Which is also a lot to ask of your friends. It is. Depending on who your friends are. But if there's some sort of like... Hey, no pressure. Like you yeah. could totally tap out if this isn't your jam. Yeah. Well, just like drop me off a coffee next week before the party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say bye to you. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you know when you're gonna die, if you have it planned out, or even if you have a vague idea of when you're gonna die, I think this is really resonant for people with terminal illness because it's something to look forward to, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like that end is such a fucking slog. Yeah. And toward death like how horrible and it's just like a a bright spot for people and when you have a plan and you know what it's going to look like I think that takes some joy back in the end of your life yeah I agree what else do you have for us or did you cover it I kind of I kind of covered all of it I feel like I talked forever um shut up but I did come across the statistic that I thought was really interesting from deathoverdinner.org, which is 75% of Americans want to die at home and only 25% actually do. Wow. Interesting. And obviously that takes into consideration people who die accidentally, but plenty of people don't. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of power in, in taking back these death rights mm-hmm. and making them look more like we want them to. Right. Um, if you have a terminal illness and there are a lot of close calls and then you, you're okay, you know, like, especially towards the end. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I'm from what I've been witnessing, it seems like there's a lot of bouncing back that happens and it's just this like yo-yoing thing that, that can occur. But then I think sometimes people then do go into the hospital, not knowing it'll be the last time. Mm hmm. And then they do end up dying there. And that, I think, probably goes towards some of that percentage. But I wonder how you can ask to be let out of the hospital to go home and die. Or if you want to stay in the hospital so they can keep you going so that you can bounce back. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do. And that's something that I think about a lot. I definitely don't have any. This is this isn't a judgment on either method of living but there are two accounts that i love and follow one is at dying well uk and it's a woman named claire who is in hospice in the uk she has Mm -hmm. a terminal cancer diagnosis and she has gone off treatment she's on palliative care only and she is dying she's kind of live blogging or live tweeting, you know, whatever her death experience. And she's made a conscious decision to stop her treatment. She does have teenage children, I believe. And so that had to be a really heart-wrenching decision to make. And then there's another person that I know you and I both follow, Deborah, who is bowel babe. Yes. Who's another UK person. And Deborah is extracting every single drop of life she can yeah out of her existence and both are so interesting to me because i can't figure out which one is most appealing and i think especially when you have kids like you're saying like she's doing every little thing she can yeah 
and that will extend her life. But like, right. there's a lot of medical intervention exactly. and there's been all sorts of side effects to her treatments yeah. that are making it harder to continue with treatments. And then they do, the, you know, in and out of the hospital, but putting on glittery gowns, dancing around the hospital room, her cute little video. Right. She is still full of them, you know, like she's got, yeah, she's got stuff left to do, it seems. And yes, I think that both ways are really, really fascinating to me because um, I think we typically associate one with like more quote unquote dignity. But like, what does that mean? But also for Deborah, I will say I listened to that episode of uh, You Mean the Big C is the name of her podcast with another couple of people but it's been a podcast in the uk i think it's actually on the bbc it is yeah but it's great and um they've been off the air for a long time due to deb's illness and then they she they just did this new episode to give everyone an update on her but she was kind of explaining it and you know her co-hosts were kind of like god like how can you even deal with this yeah but she was like you know this is what i've been dealing with like this is what it's like like i've had so many close calls like i don't want to say this is the closest i've been because i don't know like i've thought it was yeah many times and then i have come back and i'm you know probably not like you know she doesn't want to continue on with the podcast for a new season because she's like, I don't think I'll be able to finish that season. Like she's being realistic about it, but also she's kind of like her entire world can't just come shattering down every right. single time. Or maybe it has so many times that at this point it's like, yeah, fuck, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I can't even begin to imagine what she's going through right now, but I enjoy her a lot. I do too. And I love both of those different perspectives because I think that, it really illustrates that there are so many different ways to do it when you have a terminal diagnosis. And yeah, some people are going to go like full on human composting, like this super thoughtful, slow death. And some mm -hmm. people are going to be more traditional about it. And that's what feels comfortable to them. And some people are going to like hang on till the very last second they can and maybe that means that they die in a hospital and that's not their ultimate goal but they want to eat every second out of life that they can and that's cool too like I just mm -hmm. I think that the important thing is that we talk about it talk about all of the options and talk about what we want and so nobody is left guessing it's hard to know what you want though I don't know it is hard it's hard I I don't know what I want Right. Like, how do you how do you decide that you're done? Mm -hmm. I can't imagine. Have a death doula. <laughs> right. Become sterile water. <laughs> sterile waters run deep. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Lava lamp me when I die. <laughs> so we talked about a lot of the logistics we didn't talk about a lot of the what the fuck happens to you yeah you're gonna have to sort that out on your own people existential crises i cannot i cannot sort out for you that's not googleable <laughs> <laughs> 
But really, let's let's have a, a glass of wine <laughs> and let's get really. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, Dad, I will read the other talk. I think it might have been even an AARP book. Is that true? I want to look it up now, but oh, my I keyboard can. won't work. I'll do it for you. Whatever. I'm having a hot flash. Alcohol. I've had one cider. My whole face. Oh, no. Oh, this is... I don't imagine you're referring to the other talk, reckoning with our white privilege. Amy, are you sure that your dad wasn't... <laughs> My dad did want to talk about that. I'm like, uh-huh, dad, I'm not really trying to hear that right now. Amy, are you going to pay for my college or not, dad? This is a very different conversation than you were expecting. <laughs> I can't remember the other talk. I think it was like talking to your children. Oh, about... you're right. It is an AARP book. It's called AARP, The Other Talk, A Guide to Talking with Your Adult Children About the Rest of Your Life. Yeah. By Tim Prosh. It is not the book by Brendan Keeley, which is about examining your white privilege, which we could probably all use to if you're white. I'll read both books. Let's do it. Gladly. Um, That is very (laughs) Okay, so thanks for listening. You may become a patron. Thank you so much. I think Laura is our newest member. Laura is our newest member. Big shout out. It might have been a buy me a coffee. I'm not we sure. We haven't had a shout out in a while for a new member. She was so sweet. She wrote us actually, this woman. Wondering if we died. Well, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I haven't thought about the fact that when you have a cancer podcast and you don't put out regular episodes when you say you're going to. Like we were like, season two. All right. We have so much coming up. We have recorded so much. And then there was like three episodes and then we were like silent for a month but she was so sweet she wrote and she was like hey are you guys okay i keep waiting for the next episode to drop just wondering how everyone's doing and then i was just like oh my god we're totally fine and we just had some technical problems um she's so sweet but then she signed up on our buy me a coffee which i thought was so nice thanks laura thank you uh yeah and then what else? We need some letters coming up. Yeah. Send send us some letters. I would like to do an episode coming up on being single and going through cancer treatment. Yeah. If anyone's listening, we did a caregivers episode and most of our letters and discussions were surrounding partners more than even family members, even though I know a lot of family members listen or good friends. But I think we should do one about the single experience of going through treatment because there's so much that goes into that. And I know so many people who are not coupled currently who are going through treatment and then just there's a lot that goes on with it all. Totally. Let's talk about it. Write us letters. Tell us about your experience. We'll we'll gab. Yeah. Right. We will. Anything else? Um, Rate, review, subscribe. All right. We've done it folks thanks so much for listening oh we're gonna be on a podcast coming up we are should we say that yes so it's bad with money with gabby dunn coming up the pink washing and thanks so much to our friend jess our friend and listener jess who who uh made that connection that's really exciting so cool well i feel like i have suddenly got really drunk even though i've really literally had one cider (laughs) and like three sips of wine but like 
We either need to wrap this up or just do a whole new episode. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. Go have a lie down. Could <laughs> you just tell me to go have a lie down? <laughs> Amy, Amy, I'm on the phone. On the phone, Amy. <laughs> Jesus. <sighs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Goodbye. Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.